Well, I, I hardly know where to start because my mind is racing so much with excitement over my guest today. I discovered Jamie Winship in a podcast that was sent to me in November last November. And so about four months ago, I was sent a podcast and I listened to it. You know, it was in a group chat and some people started commenting, oh my gosh, this podcast was amazing. You got to listen to it. I'm like, wow, there's all this buzz. I'm going to listen to this podcast. Little did I know I was about to listen to something that was going to turn my entire world upside down. So I listened to this unbelievable podcast and I will link that podcast because I want you to listen to that one too because it's so good. Uh, But when I listened to that podcast, I then did this deep dive and Jamie uh, recently wrote a book. It's called Living Fearless. So then I read his book. And then I, I find out that he has this website with courses. So then I go on and I, I did the first course and it's called Knowing Rediscovered and it changed my life, right? Well, then I finished that and I'm like, oh my gosh, what, what am I going to do next? So then I start the next course, which is Becoming What You Believe. And through this process in the last four months, my, my, when I say my life has been completely transformed and changed, I am not exaggerating. I don't know of another person that has impacted me spiritually in this way, the way that you and Donna have, Jamie. And so that is, it is absolutely humbling and overwhelming to have you on today and just to sit uh, and get wisdom from you because you you and, and your wife and your story have changed my life so dramatically in such a very short time. And so thank you, thank you, thank you for being here today. Well, thank you. It's It's humbling to be here. So thank you for having me. Yes. Okay. So if we can get started, and I know that you have told this story over and over and over again, but would you kind of tell, describe what it is that you do and and how you got started? <laughs> well, um, really, in essence, what we do is we teach people, help people to live fearlessly in their true identity. And all of that's important, to live to live fearlessly, to live fearlessly in the truth of who you have always been. Um, And all those need to work together at the same time. And so that's really what we do is help people understand that, discover that, walk in that. And really um, the way I got started into it was uh, really as a police officer um, going into the, always wanted to be a police officer from a, from a, being in a movie theater when I was 14 and realizing that God speaks to us whether we're asking God to speak to us or not, which was stunning to me at 14 um, because I was in a movie theater and I was raised, you're not allowed to go to movies. And so whatever voice was talking to me in a movie theater, I didn't think it was God because I didn't think he had access to movie theaters. And so, um, but just this very beautiful naming that I felt watching this movie. And I just, in that moment, wanted to be a police officer. And it's very dramatic and moving to to me. And I've never, um, ever changed my mind from that day. And when I went into the police department um, at age 23, um, you know, making it through probation and all of that and realizing, wow, that the training in the academy that I had, the even growing up um, in the church 
experience that I had really didn't prepare me for the level of brokenness I would run into as a 23-year-old police officer, um, you know, on the midnight shift and and feeling overwhelmed, not just at the brokenness of the the people, you know, that dial 911, but the guys on my squad, my own squad and the substance abuse and the broken marriages of us. And we're the ones being sent out to handle domestic disputes, right? You know, and feeling like, how in the world can we really do anything in this vocation other than just survive just just and then 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 you know the larger question is well isn't that really what most of us just do in life we just figure out coping mechanisms to deal with a life that we really feel fairly powerless in um so we just try and figure out how to self-protect and self-promote our way through it so that's what got me asking these bigger questions is there another way of knowing things is there um, is there a way to communicate with people through racism, through uniforms and identities that we put on each other that cause separation? How do you do it? Where do you learn how to do it? Those are just questions I started asking, and I didn't know a person to ask, so I decided maybe I could ask God. Maybe God could communicate to me in some way that would work in real time and in darkness so that's how i started and i just started asking questions and writing down ideas i had thoughts that would come to my mind stirrings in my heart whatever you want to call it and i started acting on them Hmm. and it turned into really a really amazing journey which just continues right up to today for for me and my wife and anyone that we've ever had the joy of working through in this process with wow um yeah and there was a there was a story and it's so fascinating to me that you started writing things down and I remember hearing mm-hmm. you say you would write things down to see kind of how long it would take God to answer what you were asking. <laughs> so like how long did it take? I mean I'm sure everything's yeah. different but like well it was kind of like in any really in, in any beautiful conversation that you're having with someone who loves you and you love them, the answer comes in the appropriate amount of time necessary for it to need to be effective. Yeah. And so when I would be in a situation where, I mean, even past the police department, even when we, you know, even in, when we were ended up working overseas in counterterrorism and all that, even in incidents where, you, you know, they were gonna, we were, I was taken out to be shot. It, like I needed an answer, like on the spot in the situation right now. Um, and that's how quick the Lord answers. And so the Lord answers in the amount of time that is necessary. It's so beautiful. Yeah. And so if, it, if, it, if the answer didn't need to be there right then, it took time and it was slower. But if it needed to be there right then, it was there right then. I heard you tell a story. I, yeah. About and it impacted me so deeply because I have two young boys, but you were working an abduction case. Mm-hmm. Would you tell that story really quick? Because that was a really quick answer that you got. Yeah. And that was early in my career, um, like in my second year in uniform. And um, and there was an abduction from a bus stop, a daylight abduction from a bus stop of an elementary school, which is which early in my career, that was very unusual to have something like that happen. And so when we got called to the school, 
um, you know, it was two hours after it had happened and every hour in a situation like that is you just lose hope and uh and no real witnesses because all that it was a bunch of kids and they couldn't give a description really of a car or anything so it was just we were just running blind in it and i i with my partner was talking to the father of the kid missing kid and i said i, I because i had i at the time we had two little sons and i was very moved by the situation and i told the father i said look I, we're going to find, we're going to find your son. We're going to find him. I'm telling you, we're going to find him, which is against every protocol in the police department that there is. You never tell a parent something like that. And my partner was upset that I said that. And he, my partner was senior to me. And he said, you know, you're, you know, not to say that to a parent. And I said, I, I don't know why I said it. I know not to, but I just felt like I needed to reassure him. And so anyway, we split up and I went, I went in my cruiser and I was driving through the neighborhood and I just pulled over and I just said, God, you, you are the God of miracles. According to the scriptures, like, do you still do them? Do you not do them? Can you locate a kid that's missing? If you can, how would you communicate it to me? Like, how would I know how to do this stuff? Can you teach me? And, um, and I just sat there and uh, this car came down the street from behind me, just going the speed limit down this residential street. And when it passed my cruiser, I felt really like sick to my stomach, like someone had punched me in the stomach, just this terrible feeling. And I, and I looked around because one of the things I was learning, if you ask God a question, pay attention. Mm. People ask God questions and don't pay any attention to anything after they ask the question because they just don't think anything's going to happen. But pay attention. So I like, I, like, okay, uh, I felt sick to my stomach. I felt like someone punched me and there's a car right there and I'm looking for a kid. So I just moved on it and I pulled the car over. I cut him off, actually got out, saw no one was in the car except the driver. I said, get out and open your trunk right now. Get out. And he, the guy just jumped out and opened his trunk and the kid was in the trunk oh of the car. God. And it was so shocking for me and for the kid in the trunk and the driver that that incident occurred like that and um and it terrified the driver like he didn't know how i had figured out that he had abducted the kid and i i was amazed i was stunned by it you know a lot of times when god answers prayer it's so his own people believe in him not mm -hmm. just people that don't know god but for his own people that don't believe and when the detectives came on the scene because I was uniformed, the, the detective pulled me aside and he said, how did you know to stop that car? And I said, I, I was praying. And he said, no, no, that's, he goes, no, no, you in court, you have to testify that. What was your probable cause for stopping that vehicle? And I realized that this is going to be a real life of this. This is not magic. This is like, I asked God a question. God answered the question. I moved on his answer. So the, the Hebrew word to obey, it means to hear and respond. That's the word obedience, to hear and respond. It's not to find rules and follow them. It's to inquire of God, hear God's response, and then respond to what he said. And this obedience is greater than sacrifice, the Bible says. So, um, so I learned that, okay, if I'm going to be a police officer like this, then I have to learn how this is going to play out in court. Mm. And then later, can I train rookie officers in how to do this, which is, was really fun. Um, and then, you know, when I got interviewed and sent overseas, like, does this work in other parts of the world and other cultures? And, 
but that was the beginning incident. And I got officer of the year for that mm. um, arrest. And I was only, you know, just in my second year. And I thought, wow, this is going to be an amazing career. <laughs> if this is the way this is going to happen, this is really going to be something. So, so that's kind of how it started. Did you ever imagine yourself getting out of police work? Because you got a call to to go have dinner with somebody, right? And it happened to right. be, yeah. And so it was somebody from the CIA that wanted to have dinner with you and offer you a job. But did you ever see yourself prior to that point? Oh, because somebody from the CIA offered you a job. I forgot about that before, like before. So, and you turned it down, right? And you said, no, right. I, I want to be a police officer. So like, it, was this going to just be, what changed your mind? Yeah, it was, well, yeah, it's funny because when I was 19, I, I was offered a job by the CIA just because I passed all their tests and interviewed well. And um, when they offered me the position, I said, I said, no, I don't want that position because I want to be a police officer. Because when I felt God very first speak to me when I was 14, that it was in relation to the idea of being a police officer. So in my mind, there was nothing high, there was no higher calling than that. And it was funny, the, the agent that was interviewing me at 19, she said, do you understand that the CIA offer is three times greater than a police officer? And I said, no, it's not, not in my mind, wow. which is a great principle, I think, to go by because it's not the income level or the prestige level it's who invited me into it and so at 19 the lord had invited me into being a police officer not being a cia whatever but i also knew that when offers like that come you don't have to jump at them because they don't go away mm. it's life's not like that it's not a scarcity life it's a life of abundance and so it was just like the lord saying hey just keep this in the back of your mind one day but you don't have to grab it be be what i asked you to be and so you know, 10 years later, when these guys call me and invite me out um, to meet with them, um, it was, I was a different person, right? Mm -hmm. I, I had been, I'd been five years in the police department. I'd had, I'd seen God do things. And I, I was beginning to understand the depth of who I was and that my identity didn't come from my vocation, that I was bringing my identity into the vocation. That was my gift. And so then the vocation wasn't as important as my identity and so when the cia guys were asking me you know how did you know that kid was in the trunk and all the other cases that they were reading through while we were together i kept telling them you know you're not gonna like how i do this but i when i run i if i know the training then i can just do my training but a lot of times the training doesn't work so then i ask god what's another way to think about this or how do i what am i missing that i'm not thinking about and then i move on my what I hear from God are my instincts. And um, yeah, they, they didn't like it, but they said, but you know, the results of your work is what we're asking you about. And that's Jesus saying by, by your fruit, they know you. That's how people know you. Anyone can talk anyone. It's by the result that, that they know you. And so when they said, can you do this in the Muslim world? I knew it was like, not the CIA or anyone promoting me. It was God inviting me into a bigger scope, a larger scope of doing what I was doing. And that's the way God re rewards people is not by more money and all that. It's by greater influence, greater levels of influence and authority. And it was an honor at that point for God to say, I want you to take your identity into the Muslim world. Like, great. It's great here. You know, it's well done. But there's a 
deeper, darker world that needs this. And I'm inviting you into it. And it was an honor to me to say yes to that. Wow. Were you scared? Um, not as scared as my wife was. Yeah. Yeah. Cause how old were your um, boys? At the no, time? because it's funny. That's a great question. Cause fear is such a destroyer of invitation. Yeah. Um, no, I was really incur- I was really challenged by it because to me, in my mind, it was like doing what I was doing just at a larger level. You know, it was a greater, more risky level. And so I was ex- and thrilled by that. Um, you know, fear, I, I like that verse. Isaiah says that he is kept in perfect peace whose mind and imagination is fixed on God because they trust in God. And so when I started to imagine the scenario that they were inviting me into, because they gave me a description, I wanted, I I said, Lord, let me imagine this the way you see it, this adventure, because if I imagine it the way the enemy sees it, I'll turn it down. Yeah, I'll say no, because I'll think about I got to self protect and I've got to self promote and my wife is Jewish and we're going into the Muslim world and my kids are going to be legally Jewish and we're followers of Jesus and they're going to spend the next, they're going to grow up in the Muslim world. It's probably the worst parenting decision you could ever make. Um, But that's not the way to see it. It's like God saying to me, this is a gift to your kids that they get to grow up in this world. Don't let the, don't let the liar say that, this is a threat to you. This is an invitation. Um, so that's how, that's how we viewed it. Wow. How did Donna get over her fear? Um, like, yeah, like that she, uh, she, her concerns were her family, you know, her extended family weren't believers. Mm -hmm. And she felt like she was the only one that was really communicating the kingdom to them. And, and, um, and then, you know, the idea of, you know, could she ever tell anyone, the rest of her life that she's Jewish when your whole neighborhood is Muslim. Um, and she just kept asking the Lord to help her same thing, see it the way he sees it. And it, I'll never forget. She was having a devotion one night. She was really troubled about her leaving her parents. And um, I think it was my up for his eyes or something in the, the passage was something like the Lord saying, you need to move out of my way so I can work. Wow. And uh, sometimes we're in the way of God doing things. We think we're the Messiah, you yeah, know, yeah. and it's not going to happen unless we do it. And God's like, I'll take care of your parents. What the thing that will be the biggest blessing to your parents is watching their Jewish daughter go give her life to Muslims. Wow. And that was exactly the case. Her father could not. He was so proud of her that she would go and work with the enemy as he saw it. Mm. Um, he was astounded by her courage to do that. So that's what the Lord had in mind, right? right? Wow. How old were your boys when you moved over? Um, they were five, three, and 10 months old oh, when we moved. my gosh. Yeah, they were little. <gasps> I have a five and seven-year-old boy, two boys. I cannot begin to imagine the the courage that that would have taken. So yeah. one of the things that impacted me and has impacted me and continued to impact me is about just y'all, your whole message and and you and Donna and Mm -hmm. what you do is the false identities that we believe. And I was talking to my twin sister this morning and she said that she, today is Valentine's day. So she said she, she, you know, was up uh, having a quiet time and she is reading your book 
and she walked in to uh, go start getting the kids ready for school and, you know, saw her husband and she said, oh, babe, happy Valentine's Day. I know that today is a day of love, but I do not love Jamie Winship right now. (laughs) Said, oh my he said, oh. why? And she said, because this was really convicting this morning and it was really hard because she had it. Of course, she was kidding. She adores you. But she mm. she had to name out loud in the book. She mm. she wrote down and named out loud her false identities. And it was so yeah. powerful. And I've, you know, I've known her my whole life since the womb. Mm-hmm. And she, I, I can see the false identities in her and, and what she calls herself. Right. And how amazing mm-hmm. she is, but she had to say it out loud and it was so mm-hmm. convicting for her. And so talk to me a little bit about the false identities that we believe about ourselves and, and how that, how that affects what, what we are meant to do in this world. Yeah, well, just, you know, false identity is really just um, when you encounter traumatic events as you're growing and developing and trauma is relative to a person. So it could be anything, really. But when you encounter a traumatic event, um, you can assume a wrong view of yourself from it. And those traumatic events, then you have to learn how to like cope with the negative persona you pulled out on it. So for example, you know, we do lots of work in public schools and um, kids get identity from test scores or not making the soccer team or all of us do this or not getting picked in a basketball game. Um, And so, so we take in these negative identities and like, I'm not good enough. I don't, I didn't look right. I'm not coordinated. I'm not popular. I'm stupid. All of these false identities. And unless you have a really, a way to process through that falsehood, you just adopt a false identity and develop coping mechanisms to deal with it. And they, and they inform your thinking the rest of your life. So, you know, even when you're in your 50s and 60s, you're still not good enough because time doesn't take away false belief. Only truth can, right? Only truth can. And so if you don't have an encounter with the truth of who you are to replace what's false through truth telling, through confession, then you, you, yeah, you're just coping with, you're just learning to survive in a false identity. And you can do it by self-protection and self-promotion. Those are the ways that you do it. And it, and it, the way it shows itself is in constant anxiety, um, constant fear, constant competition and comparison. Um, you know, we see this in the workplace all the time, the inability to share, the inability to rejoice for another person's success all of that is a sign of the false identity. Mm. We all deal with it all the time, Mm. all of us. I do it all, I have to do it all the time myself. So yeah, we all have it, but we need need to tell the truth about it. Wow. So how would somebody break out of their false identity and find their true identity? How does somebody do that? Well, you know, it's, it's, so we just have this process and it's, it's, really what Jesus is doing with people all the time, but it's truth, tell, mind change, form change is what we call it, or confession, repentance, transformation. So truth telling always 
truth telling liberates human beings telling the truth always can set people free so the the way we do it is we usually do start with a negative emotion in a person and i'll just ask the person especially when they experience something something negative happens to them and i'll just say how does it make you feel how does it make you feel that that didn't go the way you hoped or how does it make you feel to, to um in that situation and the most common emotion driving people is fear it's fear and so okay so tell me what you're afraid of uh, i'm afraid that i'm not going to get this deal i'm afraid i'm not going to get this promotion i'm afraid i'm not going to pass this test i'm afraid i'm going to look stupid okay so then we say okay make an i am statement about that i am a failure i am stupid i am not smart enough i am not a good all these are we're asking them to truth to tell about the negative thing you believe about yourself. I'm not good enough. And then when you say that, when you speak that out, then fear is doing what it's meant to do, which is pointing to the falsehood. That's what fear is do. Fear is the goal of fear is to show you and make you aware of things that you believe or are going to do that will hurt you. That's the beauty of fear. So when you start saying I'm, not smart enough or i don't look right fear comes up as a like a like a dashboard light warning light saying wrong 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 but it doesn't tell you exactly what's wrong it just says what's wrong and so then we ask the question what am i afraid of what am i afraid of i'm afraid that i'm going to fail what does that say about you i am a failure okay that's the falsehood right there there it is that's the lie you're, so then we've got to give that false identity away. You can't hold, you don't want to learn how to manage it. You don't want to cope with it. You want to get rid of it. And this is the beauty of confession. And so this is what I believe about myself to be true, that I am a failure, that I am not smart, that I am inadequate, that I'm a terrible parent. Just we're confessing these out and we're letting, we're giving them away. It's what Jesus calls sweeping the house clean. We're sweeping the house clean of the falsehood. We're letting them go. And then we're asking God to replace the falsehood with what is in fact true. If we don't replace it with the truth, the false will come right back even stronger than before. So that's the repentance or the mind change part of it. Um, and then we get people, it's so, uh, you know, we just do this all the time. It's so beautiful to say, let's ask God what he calls you. What does God call you? The world calls you liar. The world calls you not good enough. Give it to God. What does he call you? And then listen to what God says about you and write it down. And then, okay, now what does that identity do today? And that's the transformation part of it. It, it is it is dramatic what happens to human beings when they engage in this process. Mm. They don't have to be Christians. They don't have to be. It's like what I told the CIA when they interviewed me. Can you do this with Muslims? I said, if it's not whether they're Muslims, it's if it's a person's human, it works. Yeah. This works in human beings because this is how humans were made to be truth tellers. They were made to live fearlessly in the truth of who they've always been, who God made them to be because our culture lives so much in the false, it just becomes more and more violent. Mm -hmm. We're watching it happen all the time with no solution. And the violence increases because people in false identities will self-protect and self-promote to their own destruction. Mm -hmm. 
And this is, this is the simple solution to that problem. Yeah. Okay. One of the most impactful stories that I have ever heard you tell, and I was, I had tears streaming down my face. I sit in the exact same place every single morning and, you know, go through, I, you know, go through these courses or whatever study I'm doing at the time. So I, I literally can tell you exactly where I was sitting and I had tears streaming down my face, hearing you tell the mm-hmm. story and you tell it so well, Jamie, of the guy who there was a door and I don't want to like give it away. I'm going to remind you there was oh, a door yeah. and he was like trying and he's like, I see a door and you're trying to help mm-hmm. him. Do you remember? And then on the other side of the door. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Would you tell that story? Because that <laughs> was so powerful. Yeah. I was just, I was just do, doing a speaking thing with the guy that was with me in that incident that he was a young guy, young pastor then he's really an accomplished pastor now. But so, yeah, we were, it was at a, it was at a, a men's ministry kind of thing. And we were just kind of trying to kick off this men's ministry thing that just, I had just come into the, this particular city, just moved there. And I was, talking to this young pastor of men's ministry and he was saying you know would you help me with men's ministry and I said what's happening and he said well no one's coming to this thing and so I said well I'll I'll help you with it but I think what what men will come to is if they realize that they can hear from God if you're if 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 men think that when they come to something you're just going to hold them accountable to everything they're doing wrong in their life they're probably not going to show up Mm -hmm. but if they can calm and hear God speak to them they'll come and so let's just teach people how to hear God and let's not have a curriculum. Let's just do that. So we started and it grew pretty quick. And so after one session, I don't know how many men were there. There's quite a few, this guy walks up to me and he says, um, uh, he's basically from this agnostic position of, I don't really believe any of this stuff. I don't believe anything you're saying. Um, I don't believe God speaks. And the young pastor was standing next to me. So this was a good time for him to see this. And I said, well, Let's just go in the other room and let's just see what happens. Then let's ask God this question. This is what's interesting to me is how believers are afraid to try and let God speak. It's funny to me that we're going to try and present God to everyone and explain to everyone everything about God, but we're terrified to just say, well, let's just go in the room and see if God will talk to you. Let's just see what will happen. We're afraid of that because we don't think God will do it. We're afraid God won't do it. Um, Anyway, so we go into this room and I said, listen, I'm just going to pray and I'm just going to ask God to speak to you. And, um, and you just tell me what goes through your mind. And the guy didn't close his eyes or anything. That's not necessary. And so I just started, we just started praying for the guy and um, God, what do you want this person to know? What do you want to say to him? And what's the first thing that comes to your mind? And the guy was kind of, you know, flipping about it, but he said, okay, I, I see a door. Well, because I know the Bible, a door is hugely significant, you know? So when a person says, I see, you know, I'm I'm thinking of a door, that to me is like, wow, here we go. And I'm super excited about it, but I'm I'm not going to tell him what the door is. I don't know exactly, but I, and so I just say, well, Lord, what do you want him to know about the door? And he's, the guy says, well, I want to go through the door, but I don't feel like I can. And okay. So Lord, why can't you go through the door? So I'm, I'm asking God to help the person understand what's happening inside their own spirit, inside their own mind. And he said, I, he said, I, I, I want to go through the door. I can't go through the door. Why not? Lord, why can't you go through the door? Something's holding my feet. It's holding my feet. And, um, 
And he's getting more, he's actually becoming fearful as he's doing this because he realizes now something is occurring here. That's not me. It's not Brian, the other guy. It's not him. This is something greater than us in the room talking. And he can't, I can't go. Something's holding my feet. What's Lord, what's holding his feet? What's holding his feet? And he just starts to cry. And he actually went, got down on the ground like he onto his knees like he was weeping and he just says out loud you know my wife and I had two abortions and he just starts pouring his heart out just you know you know we were in our careers we were young we didn't want to have kids and um and so we had these two pregnancies and we had these two abortions and I know it was wrong and it was you know all this and I'm so ashamed and this is confession. This is this is the emptying part. We call it the getting empty. Just get empty. Just get empty. Let the Lord empty out. Empty out. And he's crying and weeping. And so I got down with him. And and um, and so the thing about forgiveness is you don't want to explain forgiveness to a person. You want to let them experience forgiveness and see forgiveness. Again, this is where we get in the way of what God will do in his spirit and in his way. He loves this man. He knows how to talk to this man. I don't, but I can be with him while Jesus heals him. You know, Jesus doesn't fix things. He heals people. And our job is to hold people while Jesus heals them. That's our job. And so I just got down with him and I said, Jesus, let him see your forgiveness. Let him just see your forgiveness. He's pouring out his broken, his wounded. And then he sees, he goes, he starts telling me, he goes, oh my gosh, the door's opening, the door's opening, and the door opens, and Jesus is in the door, and he's holding both of the infants in his arms, and he tells the guy, I forgive you, and I've got him, and they're okay, the kids are okay like this, and the guy is just, well, it wiped us out too, mm. just because his forgiveness just filled the whole room, it filled the whole place, and so um, it was so beautiful and overwhelming to the guy. And it's something that can never be taken away. The enemy will never accuse him again of being a murderer and all that stuff because he's met the forgiveness of Christ. And Jesus separates it from him and remembers it no more. And the next Sunday, Easter Sunday, he uh, wanted to get baptized and he, he, got, he got wanted to get baptized holding his granddaughter. And, uh, and his testimony was, um, his whole testimony and he, and the young pastor baptized him, which was really cool. He said, his testimony was, I, I didn't think that God spoke. He does. Wow. <laughs> that's all, that's all he said. Wow. Right. But that's enough. And so, yeah. And that just blew that Ben's ministry wide open with that kind of forgiveness and grace. Come unto me all who are heavy laden. Mm. And I will, I will give you rest. I will give you rest for your soul. Who, who can walk away from that invitation if, if they meet, they hear God speak instead of hearing Jamie speak? Or, yeah. Yeah. God, so, I mean, just so powerful and so emotional. And I was skeptical. Like, I was skeptical of that my, my whole life <laughs> because I just didn't, I, I did not look at things the way that you have taught me to look at them. And it has mm. completely changed everything. It has changed the mm. paradigm of my entire thought process and ideology and everything and my, my whole family. Um, <clears throat> just a side note, we were sitting together on New Year's Eve and we're going around the room and my brother-in-law Seth was asking questions and he said, who's the most influential person 
uh, of the year and everybody's like naming the most influential person, multiple people in the room, multiple in my large family said, <laughs> Jamie Winship, Jamie oh, Winship is the most influential person you. in my life in 2022. You know, I mean, it's, that's how much you've impacted us. So <clears throat> I think that what I love about the, the false identity of, you know, this man and, and, and then not love about the false identity, but him, him breaking through that. And mm-hmm. what you teach is, is how you teach. And I was just reading about it this morning, how you teach people to look at past experiences in a different light and look at it completely s- differently. And Donna was telling That's a right. story of, uh, of a girl with like long hair and it was covering her, her face and she wouldn't look up, you know, she wouldn't, she wouldn't make eye contact. And, um, and the, the power of that story and all, if you're, if you're okay telling that it's these, these stories are so powerful because you can relate to them. Um, but the, the power of how that completely shifted her, her mindset. And so do you mind telling that story real quick? If you remember it, I mean, if you know which one I'm talking about. I I think I remember it. Yeah. We were speaking at a thing for youth. I I believe that was in, um, so we were just, we were speaking on identity and, you know, then people were lining up to like, just walk through it and pray through it. The interesting thing, like back to when you were asking about the speed of which the Lord answers a question, it's so we can be standing with a line of people, you know, in a situation and just, you know, we, we have limited amount of time with the people and how quickly the Lord speaks to them. It's just so gorgeous. I mean, um, yeah, I, I, even while I'm talking to you, it's really interesting because to me, I would love to just do this with you. Um, it's in my mind right now. It's yes. really, we, we won't do it, but I don't want to put you on the spot, but there's something about your future that God wants you to see. I just feel like while I'm just sitting here thinking and talking with you about, he wants to show you something about your future. But so that girl, she was, she came up to Donna and she, uh, she had her head down a lot because people are self-protecting, they're self-protecting. And so they have these actions that they're doing and you can watch them and they're like hiding yeah. inside the world, you know? And they have, anyway, and so, so Donna was just put her hand on her and said, you know, um, asking her how, what, how does she feel? And she felt like her, I think she felt like unseen or unloved by her dad in particular, but by her parents. And, um, and so, and it was a pretty, pretty, not a good situation where I think they would lock her and her brother in a closet while they went downstairs to work in a store. Mm-hmm. And so, and this, I mean, you can imagine how dramatic that would feel if you were young and how unwanted and unseen you felt. And she would um, be locked in this closet with her little brother. And so Donna was like, so confession is just telling the truth. Mm -hmm. How did you feel in the closet? How did it make you feel? Tell the truth. And she was saying it. And then Donna said, okay, so I want you to think about Jesus. Where were you when she was in the closet? This is what she believes about being in the closet, that she's alone and powerless and forgotten and invisible. What do you say? What do you want her to know about being in the closet? Where were you? And in that, in that story, if I remember correctly, Jesus was in there with her in the closet with her. Um, and, and he was there with her and it, it turned in, it made the closet, the real experience of what was actually happening in there. What was true was it was his place 
to be with her. It was Jesus's place to be with her. And he'd always been with her and her brother. And so then what that allows the person to do is then forgive the parent. That's mm -hmm. the beautiful part of it is then Jesus had this all under control. Let, let's let's um, release the parent, the parent. They stole something from you. They robbed you of your childhood, but they can't pay you back. So let's let let's release them in forgiveness and let the Lord restore back to you those years. Yeah. They're just so liberating to humans and at every level to do that. I only know this because I listened to it like literally yesterday. I watched your mm. amazing wife who I just love and adore so much. <laughs> I watched her tell this story, right? And so mm. <clears throat> they were in a pantry and God right. was sitting on a bag of rice next to the little girl. And I'm going to mm. tell you what struck me about this. She said, oh my gosh, she said she looked up at her. For the first time, Donna got to see her face right. and she and she looked up at her with these big eyes and she said, oh my gosh, he was there with me the whole time. He was sitting on this mm. bag of rice and I had food, we had, we had food to eat and nothing bad ever happened to us, right? And so yeah, it kind of right. took this whole situation from exactly what you're saying of, you know, I feel unwanted, I feel neglected, I feel abandoned, I feel alone mm. to, oh my gosh, I don't have to feel that way. Like God was there with me the whole time. And I was just having this conversation with my husband because he's navigating kind of a new chapter in his life. And I said, you know, I, I, I want you to hear this from Jamie. I don't want you to hear this from me. I'm not trying to, to mm -hmm. teach you this, but I, I, you know, the biggest thing is when you're driving in the car, you're sitting in your office and, and you, right. you have a situation that comes up and you're like, I have no idea how to handle this. I have, this is a new, this is a new scenario. I don't know what to do. Literally, you can just look next to you, like, and say, God, what, I don't know how to do this. Like, do you know how right. to do this? And if you do know how to do this, would, would you show me how to do this? And I think the simplicity yes. of that and how you've taught me how to just simplify and I don't, I don't have to jump through a bunch of hoops. I don't have to say 18 prayers in order to right. earn God's response. I can say, God, I don't, I don't know how to do this. Do you know how to do this? And will you show me how? And he, right. he will. And it's just so incredibly powerful. Um, it just blew me away. And so anyway, whether my husband really heard that message from me or not is, <laughs> you know, sometimes yeah. when it's coming from a wife, yeah. it does, it doesn't hit quite the same, but, um, you know, a, a, another one of, one of the things that hit me on, on a, on a level that impacts because I am an entrepreneur, because I coach, mm -hmm. you know, I have coached thousands of women on how to build a business, how to create, you know, an income from home and, and things like that. You talk about four pillars of separation, but this mm -hmm. struck me on so many levels from a business perspective and talking about uh, those four pillars of separation. And mm -hmm. I was like, this is, this is completely applicable to every area of life, not just spiritually. And so do right. you, are do you, would you dive into those four pillars of separation? Yeah. In fact, that's something I'm really want to write a lot about because we're talking about worldview here and mm -hmm. we did a lot of work with identity. And one of the challenges in working with identity is, when that person understands the truth of who they are, because you know this from coaching and what happens with training, whether you're training police officers or you're training people in a marketplace position or how to be an entrepreneur or whatever, 
a lot of times we end up training the false identity yes. in people and it doesn't work. Yeah. It, it has, it has impact, but very limited impact. Like I can teach a person to be a self-promotional high achiever and make a lot of money, but they're as wounded as ever. Mm-hmm. Right. So you, what, you, what you want to do is coach the true identity, right. And make it makes it way more effective. All the trainings way more effective because the false identity can't really receive not well. Um, it can only sort of monetize and weaponize, but it can't really receive deep truth. So, um, but when you take that true identity into a world that's all built on separation, it's hard for the true identity to survive unless the true identity operates in its own worldview of connectedness. So the worldview that most of us operate in, I mean, most of the world operates in is a separation worldview, which the pillars of which number one is scarcity, just constant scarcity mentality. And the scarcity mentality is two words, not enough. It's just those two words, not enough. I never train anyone without getting them to realize how many times a day not enough is in their head. Because again, you try and train not enough, that's hard to train not enough. And so uh, the not enough, there's not enough time, there's not enough money, there's not enough resource, there's not enough of anything. And you just hear it constantly. And it translates down into you're not enough. It has to, it absolutely has to end up you're not enough. Um, And that is a worldview. Um, So I can say I have a biblical worldview, but that's not the worldview. It's I have a I have a biblical worldview in the not enough world. Mm. That's what happens. And so that even with God, I'm not enough. Mm. Even God's love is not enough. His grace is not enough. None of it's enough Mm. until you come free of that into the connection worldview, which is really the worldview of the God who is enough Mm -hmm. in the connection worldview. So under the separation, it's scarcity, not enough, which means then you have to pursue certainty. There's a lot of good writers on this topic, but so you have to pursue certainty, certainty that because there's not enough and I got to get my piece of the pie and I got to make sure my kids succeed, then I've got to be certain that they're taking the right classes and they're in the right school. And I said the right prayer and I, you know, had the right quiet time. It's this crazy certainty and certainty has a byproduct of extremism. That's what comes out of certainty. That's why you, in our culture and scarcity, and certainty, you see more and more extremist groups popping up all the time across the board. Mm. It's because they're operating in such scarcity and it constantly produces separation. And then under certainty then is the pursuit of perfection. Mm. Excellence is a great thing to pursue. Perfection is a lie. Mm-hmm. And the pursuit of perfection is only going to end in failure and de- defeat. So but that's what we got to be. We have to be perfect because we have one shot and you're not going to get this opportunity ever again because there's not enough time and all that stuff, which all ultimately leads to the fourth pillar, which is Mm self-interest, self-focus. I I mean, you know, we saw it during COVID. It's like, as soon as none of us knew what COVID was, we, none of us still do probably, but here's what we all knew. I got to protect myself above all my neighbors. Mm-hmm. And we all just ran over our neighbors to get as much toilet paper as we could mm-hmm. because we live in a constant scarcity mentality, mm-hmm. even, even Christians. And so um, that's a worldview that has to be truth told about. We learn it young. Mm-hmm. Um, we learn young that we're not enough, that it's a competition, that there's always people better than us. We're going to get measured our whole life. And I, I, 
Aristotle wrote this a long time ago that that in a culture where the immeasurable is replaced by the measurable as being most important, that society will turn into barbarians. Mm. And so when love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, the immeasurable are not as important as my return on investment, you're in big trouble. Mm. You're in a big trouble world. And that's the separation worldview. That's what it does. It can only create separation and marginalization of people. Um, the alternative is the connected worldview. So, wow, you know, from from a a personal perspective, it it challenged me so much to evaluate myself and and my beliefs because, especially when you talked about the scarcity of time. I had mm-hmm. never in my life thought about scarcity from a time perspective. And of course, we're trying to be, you know, time management and, you know, you got to be good with your time and you got to make the most of your time and your kids are only going to be mm-hmm. small for so long and I'm only going to be able to work for so long. And I am always chasing the clock in this frenzied approach of if I don't get this done right now, I'm in trouble. Right. And then, right. and then, and then. Right pursuing the the absolute clarity on anything I'm going to move forward with in my business. If I'm not perfectly crystal clear and I don't deliver it perfectly, right? And all of that comes down to self-promotion and self-protection. Like all of it comes down. And so that... I, I literally was texting my whole family. I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, this isn't going to make sense to you, but this is the four pillars of separation. And I don't say it as good as Jamie, but oh my gosh, you know, it, it just completely brought everything into perspective. And it's interesting because all of my dearest friends who know me well and have known me for a long time have said, Rachel, there's, it's like, you're so calm and you're right. peaceful. Yes. And it's like something has, tr- has transitioned in me and in my Mm. mindset because I have let go of that, not perfectly, uh, but for uh, so much, I have let go of that scarcity mindset and just Mm. let it go and trust it. And it has, I mean, really been unbelievably transformational in my own life. Yeah, that's beautiful. Then you can work from rest, right? You can work from rest instead of trying to rest from the hectic work world. You the goal in the walk with the Lord is to is to be at rest all the time. And the most fit person is the one who can operate at the highest levels of rest. Yeah. Right. How quickly they can return to a state of rest. So your gift to your identity is your gift to the world. Time is where you are given opportunity to give that gift to the world. Mm-hmm. And there's no rush and there's no measurement. Anytime you offer the gift of yourself to the world, we all win, mm. we all win. And so that's all that's important. And so we, when I talk, when, when I'm talking to parents, it's like your gift to your kids is your identity. Mm-hmm. It's not being a Christian parent. It's not being the best parent in the world, which is a measurement. That's mm-hmm. some arbitrary measurement according to whatever book you're reading at the time. Mm-hmm. You're, God gave you those identities in your kids because your identity is the one to pour out to it. And my, my gift to my wife is my identity and her gift to me is her identity. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that just simplifies the whole thing. Wow. <laughs> right. 
So that's that's all I that's when I come into any room at any time at any place, whether they're Muslim or Hindu or whatever, my gift to them is the identity that God gave me. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to give it to them with everything that I have. Mm-hmm. And that's called self-emptying, other focused, unconditional love for your enemy. Mm-hmm. That's what we're doing. That's the model of Christ. He's just giving us, he's giving us the beloved son in whom God is well pleased all the time. That's what he's given us. And he's serving us with his identity. And so just for you to be here, sitting here with me, I feel very strongly the gift of your identity. I think that's what it is that's in my mind is there's something that gift is really powerful. And I feel the gift of your identity. And whether I feel the gift of your identity for 60 seconds or an hour, it's a gift the whole time. The time doesn't matter. It's the gift of you being present with me and my identity, that's the gift. Yeah. Yeah. Can somebody be, I think that if, if I was to look back on all of the, the coaching and the hours and years, right. Of coaching people, I can see people saying to me, I am too old. I am past my prime. I can't (laughs) I don't, I can't do that anymore. I'm, I'm an old dog and I'm not going to learn new tricks. I can't find an identity now. I'm already who I am. Talk to me about that. Can somebody be too old to find their identity? No, see then, then, then age becomes God, right? Then the age is the God. Yeah. And so that means you have a limited amount of time to get to that or the God of your age wins. Mm -hmm. And see, life's not a win-lose game. It's a win-win game. The, the, part, the lie of the separation is that you're in a win-lose scenario. You're never in a win-lose scenario. You're only in a win-win scenario. Jesus was never in a win-lose situation based on age or any of it. He was only in the win. And so he never, once you're in a win-lose scenario, you got to self-protect. Mm-hmm. You have to. Yeah. And so if age is a requirement, first of all, most of the people in the scriptures have to wait a long, long time before they receive what they've been called into. No and kidding. So if it was dependent on age, we probably wouldn't have most of the characters in the Bible. Yeah. Um, so no, I think that's a that's a lie-based fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, that age thing is is completely lie-based and it's measurement, right? It's measurement. It's not the immeasurable. Your identity is timeless. Mm-hmm. Your identity is a timeless, eternal gift to the world. And so whether I give my gift to the world at age 25 or 75 is meaningless, mm-hmm. right? It's the gift that's beautiful. People that tell me that they, they, they think they're too old, it just means they're afraid. Yeah. That's okay. That's okay. Let's figure out why, what you're afraid of. Mm-hmm. And then let's get rid of that lie and let's get to it and stop using that as an excuse. Mm. Well, as we kind of start to wrap up, and unfortunately, I have to give you back to your day, even though I could sit and talk to you for hours and hours. Mm-hmm. And I've just, all of your stories that I've listened to are, you know, I, I wish that I could have you sit here and tell every single one of them. But um, if somebody takes the time to discover their identity and get rid of the false identities and really tune into and, and figure out their I, true identity, what are they, because there's going to be people that are listening that are skeptical and they're like, I don't know if I can Mm -hmm. figure out my true identity. What do they have to look forward to? If they can discover their identity, what will they experience different from where they are right now living in a false identity? Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, it's, it's imagine, imagine a life with absolutely no fear. Mm. Imagine a life like that. So that means that you, you are able to try anything. Mm. Like that's one of the most beautiful things. So not just to try anything, but when I know my identity, I know what things to try. Right. So if I know how to bring my identity to whatever I do, um, because my identity is distinct and unique, I will excel in that thing that my identity moves into. So for me, I start out as a police officer. I, I learned to understand my identity and hearing from God as a police officer. This is called seeking first. I learned to seek first the kingdom. Here's the promise when you seek first the kingdom. All the other stuff comes. All the other stuff comes. I got promoted. All that stuff comes. But it wasn't because I was seeking the promotion. I was seeking the kingdom because I understood who I was and who God made me to be. And I wanted other people to know who they were. So it wasn't about how many people can I arrest. It was how many people could I bring the kingdom to, which stopped crime and made me a really good police officer and then invited into the state department and then overseas and then in the Muslim world. And then I got to work in the Muslim world and I got to be known for counterterrorism and, and a new style of counterterrorism. And, and then I went into education because that's where the most terrorists recruited is education. And I became teacher of the year in education. All I was doing was moving my identity around into different vocations, but nothing was changing. Mm. I, I, nothing was changing. I was just changing vocations, but I could do it in the truth of who I was. And so every time I, God invited me into something, I knew that he was inviting my true identity into it. And as long as I stayed in that identity, I excelled, mm -hmm. right? And then when, when, when someone would offer me a job or something, I would know right away, my identity doesn't go into that vocation mm -hmm. and I would turn it down. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't have to look, try jobs and not try jobs. I know where my identity functions. I know where it's alive and free. And so whatever vocation, and that's what we do with young people all the time. Once they understand their identity, here's my next question. What vocations give that identity room to move? Mm. And now you know where to go to college. And now you know what to major in. Mm. And now you know what to pour all of your energy into because it's where your identity is alive and free. Mm. And so you just become courageous in that kind of stuff. Mm. And it makes, so when someone says, like, will you move your 17 year old out of his junior year in high school and your eighth grader out of his eighth grade year in public high school in the u.s and move him to iraq in a in the middle of a war to live in downtown baghdad in the middle of a war zone where there's no school and trust their future education to god yes why because god is saying to me as their parent their identities need to spend a year and a half in a war zone for them to understand the fullness of who they are and don't be afraid and take them there and let them. And, and what kind of parent would do that? Only the parent whose identity would do that, right? Not every parent, just that. And so like, I, I want to live that way. I want to live that way until I meet Jesus is just alive and free. And when Jesus invites me into something, he'll only invite the truth of who I am. And when he faithful as he who calls me, he'll also do it. I want to run that all the way to the end. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that sure sounds, that sure sounds like a better way to live than the insecure, fear-filled, terrified existence that most people, including me, have, have lived for a very long time. You know, um, it, it is truly amazing. I, 
I could sit and talk truly for hours. I know I've said it. And I, I could, I, I just want to learn everything that you ever have to share because you've, you've been so yeah. transformational. Okay. Anytime. There are, there are so many incredible stories, like the, the story of you guys going to Baghdad and I mean, and then the King of Jordan, like, I just can't even, I can't. You have to go listen. If you're listening to this right now, you have to go listen to, after you finish this, go listen to the other podcast that I'm going to link in the in the notes because you're going to just be blown away. And, and it just starts this whole progression of like, I need to know more. I need to know more because the stories, I mean, the story of the place settings, like, I mean, oh my gosh, are you <laughs> kidding me? It just blows me away. So if there was a, if there was somehow to track like people who listen to that podcast um, because I sent them the link. If there was, some, you'd be like, oh, Rachel Roth, we know her. She runs our fan club and she's our, yeah, she's, <laughs> she's, because I have sent it to hundreds of people. It's just incredible. So um, I cannot thank you enough for the gift you are to this world and for the time that you have spent with me today, it is it is beyond anything that I could ever explain how grateful I am to you, Jamie. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you for so having much. me. It's an honor to be with you. Where can people find you? And where can they buy your amazing book that I've read twice? Where can they find you? <laughs> um, so our website is identityexchange.com. Just simply identityexchange.com. And the book is from Baker Publishing. I mean, it's on Amazon. I, I think actually Baker is out. I don't think they have anymore, but Amazon and, you know, places like that have okay. it. Well, I'll link it all. I'm going to link it all. And, Thank you. Uh, yes, Thank you. And it'll be available there. So, uh, and here's what I will say as an outsider um, looking in, my advice to you would be get Jamie's book and then also go to Identity Exchange and take the the course it's called knowing rediscovered and let me tell you when i say course don't think about like a college semester this is very doable it is six videos they're 30 minutes each and it will change your life forever if you will just each day watch a 30 minute video every other day whatever it will truly change your life. So that is where I would encourage you. And I'm going to put that link in the show notes so that you can easily access it. It's $20, 20, the best $20 that you will ever spend in your entire life. I promise. So Jamie Winship, thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. If this episode resonated with you today, please share it with at least two people you think would love it too. Keep up with the show at the Rachel Roth show on Instagram and TikTok, and keep up with me at Rachel underscore R underscore Roth on Instagram and TikTok. Don't forget to rate and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I know it sounds silly, but it really does make a huge difference and it allows this content to get in front of more people. I can't wait to see you again.